0: We wanted to start a church that was safe enough and perhaps not clean, uh, as a lot of churches kind of project themselves off to be, so that every person in Nashua and beyond would find a home here and journey in faith with Jesus Christ. That's why we started this. So. Uh, If you've ever felt uncomfortable in church before, we created this so that this would be a place where you would feel comfortable to continue to journey. For maybe some of you, you've been here uh, in in the church world and church culture for a long time. Maybe some, this is a pretty new thing for you. We want you to know that every single person here is safe and everyone is welcome. And that's why we did this whole uh, No Perfect People Allowed. One of the things that we've discovered and one of the reasons we started the church right here in Nashua is that we're in the, the second least religious area of the country. In fact, uh, those who identify with no religion is not only high here, but it's on the rise all over the country. In fact, it's the, the largest or the fastest growing religious group in America. The, those who claim uh, no religion, the, the, the nuns, okay? Not like, you know, monastery nuns, okay? Not, not that kind of nuns. This is a different kind of nun. Uh, but, like, this is a fast-growing group because we believe that there's so many people who have not felt comfortable Coming to a church, they're skeptical about organized religion, and one of the top reasons that comes back when surveys do uh, their survey thing uh, and finding out why is this happening is that far too many people feel judged or condemned by religious people. It's like you got to kind of put on something before you come into a church. You got to have it all together before you come in. Last week, I, I shared a story about a lady uh, who uh, articulated to me that you know, I would never come to a church because the doors would burn down before I walked through them. I mean, clear message saying, I'm not good enough. I don't got my stuff together enough in order to come to church. I'm not perfect. Well, I want you to know that if you're not perfect here, you are welcome. And so far, the building hasn't burned down on us. Maybe that's because we're in a gym, but you're safe, okay? Uh, Look, this is for no perfect people allowed. But I think one of those areas that consistently people feel judged in is in the areas of their questions and their doubts. Because if we're honest, we've all got questions about life, right? We've all got doubts about certain things and whether they're true, whether they're not true, and depending on how we've journeyed with other people, we've either felt safe to be able to wrestle with those doubts and those questions or really not safe. All it takes is one person shutting you down when you ask an honest question, and at that point, man, your guards are up, and you're thinking, man, I I don't ever want to go there anymore, okay? And sometimes when we're sitting in that doubt and that question, like it can be paralyzing. You know, we, we either just we we learn to shell up and not talk about it, uh, or you know, or, or we just avoid the people that we know are are going to give us a hard time. And I think that's why a lot of people have just walked away from Christianity and uh, and and faith in general, because a lot of Christians have just said, no, no it's not okay. You just got to believe. Don't question. You just got to have faith, right? You ever heard that? You yeah, had like a, an honest question about something, and someone says, like, stop this question. Just, just have faith. Just have faith. Man, it shuts that conversation down immediately, doesn't it? I mean, in that moment, you've got nowhere to go. You just, well, guess I'm not good enough. I just, I don't have enough faith. So today, really, the, the, the big thing that we're going to wrestle with is, is it okay to actually have doubts? And if so, what do you do with that? here's what I did this week, okay? Uh, I I actually sent a survey, an anonymous survey, out to our church and even out on social media asking people what some of their top top doubts are. And You guys were great. You came back with a lot of really honest uh, top doubts, and so I wanted to uh, relay some of them to you. These were some of the questions that came out there from uh, our broader area and inside of our church. Uh, The number one was, is Christianity the only religion that follows the true God? Or is there actually other paths out there that maybe believe in the same God? Another one, are my prayers heard by God? Does he actually hear them? And then second, like, do my prayers actually even matter? If he hears them, does he do anything with them? Am I a good enough Christian? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? We're asking questions about purpose. What's my purpose in life? Does Jesus even know me? Or is he just big and kind of doing his thing out there? Am I known in a personal way? This is a really specific question someone asked. Why would God allow someone that I've known... actually have a miscarriage. What's the purpose in that? And the question wasn't just about miscarriage in that moment. What was the question about? Why would a good God allow evil and suffering? Right? Why would a good God do that? Why would God allow people to go to hell for not believing? These were all the, the top doubts that came out when I sent out this survey. And if this is some of you in this room, if you've ever asked any one of these questions, We know uh, that they can be paralyzing questions, and they can actually, they they can either isolate us or they can push us into further exploration. But in order to explore them in a faith community, you've got to feel safe, right? So here's what we're going to ask today. Is it okay to have doubts? And if so, what do I do with them? All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, We're going to look at a particular encounter that Jesus had with a skeptical person, with someone who had some doubts. And we're going to learn how Jesus interacts with this guy, what he responds to this man in, and and what we can take away from it when we have questions, when we have doubts as well. Let me pray real quick, and then we're going to jump in. This is going to be John chapter 1, starting in verse 43. Let me pray. Jesus, we're just grateful to take a moment during the week and explore things that matter. God, I believe personally that you're not only in control of this universe, but that you actually love us personally, deeply. So much so that you came into this world to walk alongside us and help us. God, I pray that you'd show us today just how much you love us, even in the deep imperfections that all of us have. Show us, God, what's that like for us to journey with a God who's okay walking with us in our mess. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, John chapter 1, starting in verse, verse 43. Here we go. The next day, Jesus is kind of journeying in the beginning of his ministry here. And so the next day here, he decides to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me consistent message he gives to a lot of the people that he meets for the first time. Come, follow me. Now Philip, like Andrew and Peter, these are two guys who had already joined Jesus's movement here. Uh, like these two guys, he was from the town of Bethsaida, and Philip found, found Nathaniel, who's a friend of Philip's. Apparently, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, "We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote about: Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph." Look, Philip in this moment, he's so excited. He's exuberant about this person, Jesus, because he's listening to him. He's paying attention to some of the miracles that he's done. And he's saying, man, there's something about this guy. This guy, he could be it. He could be it because the first century Jews, they were waiting for this guy called the Messiah to actually come and liberate them in what they had been anticipating he would do for a long time. And he said, could this be the guy? I think this is it. And he goes to Nathaniel and says, this is the guy. This is the guy. Look at how Nathaniel responds. Ready? Verse 46. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? (laughs) Philip says, come and see. Now we're going to get into why Nathaniel was actually uh, so skeptical, so filled with doubt about Nazareth itself in just a second. But here's what we learn right off the bat. Nathaniel's got some information. And when Philip tells him, I got this guy, and I think he is the guy from Nazareth, Nathaniel immediately goes to skepticism, which can so easily lead to cynicism, and he starts kind of shutting down a little bit. Nazareth? What do you mean? Now, here's the crazy thing. When you got some information about something, and someone tells you something different— Sometimes information overload can lead you to deep skepticism which can then lead down the road of cynicism and if we if we're not careful our information culture right now when we got too much information can kind of breed this air of cynicism about life in general. You know what I'm saying? We live in the information age, don't we? where everything is just a Google search away for you finding out about this thing or that, and we just become highly skeptical as a culture when somebody tells us, this is it, right? I mean, anything that we say, this is it. This is the solution. This is the solution to your hair loss problem. Believe me, i become highly skeptical, okay? Uh, this is your solution to your dating problems. This is the solution to your bank account problems. We're like, Really? Really? You are in the information age, and sometimes too much information can kind of lead us down the path of cynicism. I think it is one of the greatest temptations that we have. Last week, I actually, uh, when I was preaching, I was talking about water, uh, and at one point I said our bodies are made up of somewhere between 50 and 65 percent water. Someone came up to me afterwards and was like, really? That's not true, is it? Actually, we did some research. It was true, okay? Uh, But, like, that just proves we're in an age of skepticism. We've got cynicism that kind of, it breeds like You know, all over us, because there's a million opinions, there's a million sources that will tell you a million different solutions to some of the problems that we have. And the the default that a lot of us have is, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know that's the way? How can I trust that that is really the way? And man, it's, it's nowhere more true than when it comes to the deepest parts of life, right? Faith. And so it's not a surprise that one of the top... Doubts that people had in this anonymous survey was, how do you know Jesus is actually the only way? How do you know? Uh, I got a friend um, that I meet with every once in a while at random coffee shops. I don't have an office uh, because we we just rent space, and so I've got three offices: uh, Starbucks, uh, Bonhoeffer's, and Press Cafe. They're fantastic, and so I meet with some of these people in my office. Uh, they don't know it's my office, but it is. Uh, and uh, anyway, I'll, I'll be talking to this guy, and like he prides himself in how much he knows. And how well traveled he is. And we've been journeying together for about a year and a half through a lot of different conversations, but he keeps coming back and says, You know what? With all the information that I know and all of the travel that I've had and talking with all sorts of different people and their experiences and all sorts of religions, and like, you know, I just don't even know. I don't know. How can I know that Jesus is the only way? How can I know? I'm telling you, sometimes the amount of information that we have can be our biggest enemy. Because what it does, and here's why it's so dangerous, you ready? Here's why it's so dangerous. It leads us down the road of cynicism, which can so easily become arrogance. Okay? When you think that you know more than somebody else, and you become cynical about what they've shared with you, there is an an air of pride and arrogance that will shut that conversation down. I, I know too much. I know too much to actually buy into what you're telling me. There's an air of arrogance. Now, just because something is challenging to believe does not make it untrue. Isn't that right? Just because it's hard to buy into it does not make it necessarily untrue. Now, the wild thing is, I've been journeying with this guy for the past year and a half. Where he was in moment one to where he is right now is amazing. And I've been inviting him like Philip was inviting Nathaniel hey, come and see. Come and see, let's explore this together. No joke. He's starting to talk to his wife and say, "You know, I think I need to start coming on Sunday mornings. You can pray for him, you can pray for him." Uh, but here, here's the reality. Uh, nobody likes to know-it-all. Am I right? Look, when you walk into a room and you, you interact with someone who knows it all, there is nothing that just gives you the warm fuzzies like that. You know, like, someone just comes up to you and be like, no, 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 like, you've been doing this all wrong. I don't know if you've ever had someone that just walked onto your job, like, day one without really ever knowing you and started telling you how to do your job better than you know. Like, that, like, nothing gives you the warm fuzzies like that, okay? Um, Like, More, like, know-it-alls are just hard to interact with um, because cynicism in, like, in in that know-it-all, like, it just, it breeds this this air of arrogance and pride, and it just shuts relationships, it it shuts conversations, it shuts exploration down, and this is where Nathaniel is right now. So here's the first thing that I want you guys to write in your notes. Here's what we need to do. In the the age of information, this is the first thing that Jesus is inviting us to do, ready You have to doubt your doubts. You don't learn how to doubt your doubts. Stop being so cynical. Stop being so skeptical about things and actually explore it. What if you don't know all there is? Because, man, we we live in an age where it's easy to know a a little bit about a lot of things. Okay? But just because you know a little bit doesn't make you an expert. Learn to doubt your doubts. Don't don't just take the easy road because cynicism and skepticism, that's that's the easy road, okay? That's the easy road. Okay? Look, look, we got some donuts out in the hallway today. Donuts are easy, and they're delicious. Does not make them really good for you, right? <laughs> like some of you are like questioning the, the decisions you just made. Uh, look, I love donuts. You you just got my permission to go eat as many donuts as you want today. All right, uh, but just because it's easy doesn't make it. Better. Uh, Just because you want to date somebody, okay, uh, doesn't make them a good person to date. It doesn't matter, like, and for some of us, like, we've just blown past all the wisdom and uh, the the thoughts that some of our friends and our family members have said about certain people that we wanted to date, being like, that's not a good idea. This person's made a lot of bad choices. You know, you shouldn't be going down that road. We're like, no, like, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm skeptical about what you have to offer because I want what I want in this moment. Man, doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts and dig deep. Dig deep. Start questioning these things and actually explore it. I mean, start asking yourself, could I be wrong? Could I be wrong? That's number one. Doubt your doubts. So, why is Nathaniel so skeptical? Why? That's the burning question here. Why is he so so skeptical? Well, what does he say? Nazareth. Nazareth? Like, did anything good come from there? Here's the historical background on Nazareth, okay? Uh, Look, even in 21st century America, when you get some urban people that look at a rural setting, do they usually look at them positive or negative? Negative, right? When you got the city dwellers, they look at the rural people, they're like, yeah, they're like backwoods, uneducated, unsophisticated. Like that's, that's just who they are, okay? So when we got some like backwoods New Hampshire people in the house today, I just want you to know you're welcome here, okay? The safe place. Uh, but yeah, we got some fist pumps in the air. So good. We got some hicks in the house. You are welcome here, okay? Anyway, um, this is what was happening. In southern Judea, that's where the big city was. They look up at the north in Galilee, and they say, man, those, that's where the hicks are, okay? Now, Nazareth was like Hickville of the Hickville, that was that place you just don't want to go, okay? Because, like, are probably missing a number of teeth out there, okay? Like, look, that's what I'm saying. Like, they're not sophisticated enough. They're saying, like, really? Our hope? is coming from Nazareth? I mean, if they were going to write this today in Nashua, they'd probably say, hey, we found uh, the one Moses wrote about in the law and whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of the tree streets. Right? Look, if you got to know Nashua enough, like, you know, stay away from the tree streets. When we first got here, that was the, that was the, the dominant message that we got uh, when we were looking for apartments. They're like, oh, this is great. I'm glad you're moving to Nashua. Just stay away from the tree streets. Like, nothing good comes from the tree streets. Just back away from that area. Nothing good. That's what Nathaniel's saying. He's like, no, no, no. You don't understand. I, I've got information here. I'm probably better than they are over there. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. And so here's what he he adopts his attitude. His attitude in this moment is one of dismissiveness. It's dismissive. It's eye rolling. Give me a break, Nazareth. Here's what's so dangerous about dismissiveness. Okay, um, it destroys problem solving. It destroys conversations it actually gets in the way of relationship building. There's no hope for relationships if there's eye-rolling, if there's dismissive attitudes in it. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, he summarized a book, a marriage counseling book written by a lady named Tara Parker Pope uh, on this topic, and, and she put it this way. Eye-rolling is one of the d- definitive signs that a relationship is in serious trouble. Marriage counselors look out for it because it signals contempt for the other person. A successful marriage can handle disappointments disagreement. Marriage is in the room. You understand this, okay? It can handle disappointment, disagreement, pain, and frustration, but it cannot handle complete dismissal of the other. Contempt literally kills relationships. This is what Nathaniel is doing. He's, in a, he's adopting an air of cynicism, of skepticism, but he, 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 he breathes it to the area of dismissiveness, of eye-rolling, and there's contempt in this. So here's the second thing I want you to write we've got to learn not only to doubt our doubts, but we've also got to learn to reject dismissiveness and embrace humility. Because dismissiveness will kill, and it will destroy. Humility actually builds, and it connects, and it leads to positive things. For for a lot of people, when they look at Christianity, instant dismissal oh, that's naive. That's for people who need a crutch. You know? that, that's for people who you know, just they feel like they, they need some other people around them just to feel better about themselves. There's, a, there's a, a lot of air and cynicism and dismissiveness towards Christianity right now in our culture. Why would I ever need the church? Why? It's dismissive. But here's, here's the thing that we have to understand as followers of Jesus Christ. This is so good. Christianity is always on the wrong side of the tracks kind of a faith. Jesus always comes from Nazareth. Always. You think about that. The God of the universe came into this world. Where did he start? He started to a virgin mom who wasn't married yet, and he was born in a feeding trough. He this is the God of the universe. He didn't come with pomp and circumstance. Like he came in a feeding trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Christianity is for the powerless and for those who actually own the fact that, yeah, we're not put together. That's the secret sauce of all of this. Think about the people that God chose all throughout the Bible. Who did he choose? He always chose the weak and the vulnerable over the powerful the strong. That's what he did, okay? God consistently chose the younger brother. He he chose Abel over Cain. He chose Jacob over Esau, even though in the ancient world, the firstborn was the one who had all of the privilege and all the status and all the inheritance. He chose the youngest son, Joseph, over his ten brothers. He chose the youngest, David, over his seven brothers. Back in the ancient world, uh, barren women were not valued, but God consistently chose the barren women to uh, actually further his plans. Sarah and Rebecca and even Hannah, Samuel's mother, he chose the misfits, he chose the nobodies, he chose the screw-ups, he chose the murderers, those who were jacked up, the prostitutes, he chose the chiefs and the liars. I mean, he chose all of these people to continue to further his plan. Why? Because God's got a consistent message throughout this entire book. You can't save yourself. There's only one person who can save you. And it doesn't come through dismissiveness or pride comes when you actually humble yourself and admit that you have a need for a Savior. Only in that moment, when we come to God with open hands, are we in the place where not only he can do something amazing in our life, but something amazing in and through us, in the lives of other people as well. Nazareth is always where Jesus comes from. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, not those who are jacked up in their ego and their pride. Blessed are the poor. The Apostle Paul put it this way For the message of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Of course, they're going to come at it with an air of dismissiveness and count it out. But to the, for us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one could boast in front of him. This is one of the things that actually separates Christianity from all other religions. Most other religions, almost all, you could probably identify when you look and explore it deep enough, you've got to do something in order to appease the God, or attain eternal life, or whatever that goal is. You've got to do something. You've got to, you've got to think better thoughts. You've got to, you know, follow the five pillars. You've got to, you know, the eightfold noble path. There's all sorts of things that you have to do in order to attain something better. But Christianity is not spelled D-O-D. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. When Jesus Christ came to the world, he did for us what we could not do because we were powerless to do it on our own. We needed his intervention. And so here's the, the thing about doubts. Don't be dismissive. Embrace humility. Because when you recognize and own the fact that you've got questions and doubts, it's actually one of the greatest signs that you're in the place where God can meet you and use you like never before. God can work with a humble heart. He can't work with a prideful heart, and he chooses not to. So we got to reject dismissiveness and embrace humility. But here's the thing, ready? Did you notice how Philip responded to Nathaniel? I love this. Nathaniel's like, Nazareth, how can anything good come from Nazareth? How did Philip respond? Come find out. Come find out. Come and see. I'm inviting you. Take a next step. Yeah, this is hard to buy into it. I get it. But come find out for yourself. Man, let me just make a plug for this, okay? Christmas season is one of those seasons where more people that are our friends and neighbors and and the people that we have influence with on a weekly basis, this is the season where more people are going to want to come to church or maybe be willing to come to church more now than ever. And all it's going to take for some people that you and I know is a come and see. Is a come and see. They're waiting. Some of these seats are empty today because they're waiting for you and me to just say, come, find out. And maybe God would break some of their dismissiveness and cynicism too. You just don't know. I mean, I've been surprised when I've offered an invitation that who who actually responds to that. All right, that's a side note. But here's what he says, come and see. And you know what Nathaniel does? This is amazing. He does it. He doesn't just stay. He could have. He could have chosen to sit in that cynicism and that dismissiveness, but he doesn't. He actually goes, and we read this. It says, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, love that. He stop and like, underline that word approaching. He did something with his doubt. He didn't just stay in it. He did something with it. And So here's the next thing I want you to write in your notes. Ready? We can't just stay in our doubts and our questions. We want you to, to be proactive be proactive about your doubts. When we're proactive about it, man, now we can start finding solutions. Now we cannot just stay in that, that general air of like there's too much information. How am I supposed to know? No, we're actually gonna do something about this. We're gonna take it to the next level. We're actually gonna do something. And you may, you might be amazed that when we accept God's invitation to actually be proactive about it, what he does inside of us and through us in that moment. He did something about it. Now, when you're dealing with doubts, there's one character in the Bible that probably stands out more than any other one, right? Someone was, was identified as a doubting person, right? Like, when we think about it, who, who, who is it? Doubting Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. I mean, we, we still use that phrase, look, you're just a doubting Thomas, you know? Some people probably have no clue even where that comes from, but doubting Thomas, like he is identified as one who doubts, which is amazing because history actually goes on to show us that he had an unbelievable impact in, in the nation of India uh, later on, so, um, so, but we primarily identify him with doubts. Now, here's, here's the amazing thing. Let me just take you on a brief journey with Thomas. Uh, Thomas had some doubts. He'd been journeying with Jesus for three years, but he saw his leader crucified and completely destroyed on a cross. Now, in that moment, you've been putting all your hope in this guy. You see your hopes dashed because literally someone who is alive is now dead. Like, you don't resurrect that hope very easily when you see that happening. But all his buddies come back, you know, a couple days later, and they're like, look, we found him. He, he, he's alive. You wouldn't believe it. He died, but he's actually, he, he's alive again. And he's like, yeah, whatever, like, I haven't seen someone come back from the dead. Di- like, you're not going to convince me. This is what he says, okay? Uh, it says, now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, this is uh, John chapter 20, verse 24. Uh, one of the 12 was with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, uh, we've seen the Lord, but he said to them, look, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. And that's some of us in this room, right? Like, you can't convince me. I need to see the proof. Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? You know, like you take some of us in this room like a lot of convincing towards some things. That's it. Notice how Jesus interacts with them. I love this. He doesn't just say, shut up and have faith. Like watch watch what Jesus does, right? Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I love that. Sometimes we're just so quick to shut people down. He says, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, go ahead. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out. Put your hand in my side. He says, stop doubting and believe, but it does he he says it in in an air of respect and invitation. Go ahead. Come explore. See it for yourself. I'm inviting you. Come and see. Be proactive about your doubts. And some of us in this room, like you've had some doubts, you've had some lingering questions. Lingering questions about God. Lingering questions about the Bible. Is it actually true? Lingering questions about maybe even community. Should I be in community? Should I not be in community? Would people accept me? Would people reject me? You've had lingering questions about a number of things in your life. And for some of us, like, we've just learned to live with it and not do anything with it. It's like, I'm probably never going to get that answered. But we've never taken that first step and being proactive about doing something with it. I promise you, lingering doubts and lingering questions have a way of rearing back around when life gets tough. Jesus is inviting us in this moment. Do something with it. Assume that there's truth. Be proactive and find it, okay? I I got a friend in this room um, who uh, had a really hard line of work, really hard, and, and day after day she saw some really dark stuff, really dark stuff. And and after a while, like, with all this dark stuff that she'd see, like, it would just be so easy in an era of cynicism to just believe how can a good God exist when I'm seeing evil and tragedy every single day. And a lot of us, like, when we experience those kind of things, I have friends in this room, like, who've been overseas in the military, and when they see those kind of horrific things, they're just like, I don't know. I don't know that I can actually believe in a good God when I've seen these kind of things. And it would be so easy in that moment to just shut down our exploration because we've bought into dismissiveness. And we've we've just sat in those questions and in those doubts. This is what I love about my friend. Instead of just giving into that and and just staying there, she did something with it. And she started exploring these answers. And no joke, this is where it took her, okay? When when she's looking at all this, her journey through it, just thinking through it philosophically, and then journeying with other people in, in faith and in church, she came to the place of understanding, like, I can't actually call something evil, Unless I assume that there's a baseline, ultimate good in the universe. Like, unless there's a perfect good that actually exists, I can't say that this is actually evil. It just is. Like, chaotic forces and and just blind evolutionary things at work, like that can't actually tell me something that's good and is bad. I have to assume that there's a moral order of the universe and it's not just out of chaos. It actually comes from a personal uh, being who, who built goodness into this universe. And if that's true, then God must exist. You see what happened there? She was proactive. She did something with it. And, and her, her exploration into questions and into doubts actually brought her to a place where she was stronger and the faith actually got deeper. For some of us in this room, like you've never actually taken that next step in your faith journey. You've never, you've never gone there with, where is God when there's evil and suffering? Where is God with, with what we know about science? Where is God? Is the Bible actually true? Is it trustworthy? And I, I just want to invite you, if that's you in this room, to actually go to the wellnhorg groups and find a, a group called The Problem of God. There you can actually sign up for a place where you can, you can be in a conversational environment with other people that also have doubts and questions and, and dialogue about it together. And it's, it's not just the Bible that we look at in that environment. We actually look at a variety of different evidences and, and sources that lead us down a place where we allow people to question, but then explore it on their own and come to their own conclusions. I'm telling you, that is one of my favorite environments that we've ever done here at our church, the problem of God. God. Because we believe in the power of exploration. Be proactive. Be proactive about your doubts. Be proactive. Now, what happens when Nathanael meets Jesus? Okay, let's, let's continue the journey through the story. Verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked, right? When he just meets Jesus and Jesus is like, Man, you got no deceit in you. He knows he's an honest guy, just says it like it is. You know some people that just say it like it is, maybe a little bit too blunt, a little bit too curt sometimes, but Jesus is like, look, dude, you say it like it is. He's like, what? how do you know me? Look at what Jesus says, ready? I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. It's like kind of creepy, right? Like, like. Jesus kind of Facebook creeped him on that moment, you know, like he just called him out. I saw you before Philip got to you. I know you. And look at how, how Nathaniel responds. Ready? Rabbi, you're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathaniel had a miraculous moment with Jesus. I don't know what happened under that fig tree, but it was private and it was personal enough that when Jesus said, I saw you, boom, it exposed him completely. I mean, we don't know what happened. There might have been something embarrassing happening under that fig tree, okay? But Jesus said, I saw that. I saw that. Nathaniel knew Jesus wasn't around anywhere, but when he sees something like that, he knows something supernatural happened. He had an emotional moment in that moment with Jesus, because Jesus called him out and exposed something that Philip thought nobody could see. He had a unique, spiritual, emotional experience, and sometimes for us, like, we have those spiritual, unique, emotional moments, and it propels us in a season to just say, wow, like, that's amazing. I've got to go all in. I mean, he goes from skeptic and cynic to, like, all in in a split second, but but here's how Jesus responds to him. He said, I love this. Jesus says, look, in verse 50, this is so good. You believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, but you're going to see greater things than this. In other words, what he says is, don't just rely on that. He adds, very truly, I tell you, you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus says, look, you asked me, how do you know me? But I'm saying to you, you don't know me yet. It's actually going to get darker before it gets better. And I want you to actually go on a journey with me beyond your emotions. Here's the the, the fourth thing I want you to write down. Don't rely on emotions alone. Don't rely on emotions alone. Explore truth. Don't rely on emotions alone. You've got to get at the bedrock of truth and convictions because an emotional experience is not going to carry you through the storms of life. I mean, be honest about it. God wants us to have a spiritual experience with him. He wants us to have those emotions and those those amazing highs in in, in different moments, like every relationship, but we can't rely on those alone, because when the storms of life hit, they're not going to be able to carry you through to the other side. Jesus says, I want you to go on a journey with me, Nathaniel, and I want to get to the bedrock of your convictions, because once you get to what you firmly believe is true, because you've explored it, you've wrestled with it, you've gone through those doubts and all of those questions, and you've come on the other side. Other side because you believe it, not just because you had a spiritual, uh, emotional experience. Only then are you going to be strong enough to withstand anything in life. And for some of us in this room, like Sunday mornings or baptism or some of these, you know, events that we had in the community, they're really fun. They can be really cool, kind of uplifting moments. But Jesus is saying, I want to invite you on a journey to go deeper than that. I want you to actually dive into the Bible, the Word of God. I want you to d- develop a discipline with exploring this stuff on a daily basis. I want you to dig at the root of what you actually believe. Jesus is saying, I, I want you to go deeper. And he invites him to, to actually think about something. He, you know, he says, uh, you know, heaven's going to be open. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, you're going to see this. Heaven's going to be open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What does he mean by that? Angels ascending and descending. It's actually a reference to something that happened in the Old Testament where the patriarch Jacob had this vision that God laid out of a ladder coming down from heaven. I don't know if you guys remember that story at all. But there was a ladder that actually come from heaven down, and there was angels ascending and descending in the Old Testament. What does that even mean? Here's the reality, guys. At the very beginning when humanity was created, God gave us an opportunity to have a relationship with him, but we rejected that. And we dismissed God and said, I want to do things on my own. And what happened in that moment was a massive barrier between us and God. And what God was showing Jacob is that there's actually going to be a pathway created to connect heaven and earth again one day. That's what's going to happen. It was a promise. It was a foretelling of what's going to happen. Jesus in this moment says, I am that ladder. But it's not going to come through easy stuff. In this moment, Jesus is predicting that he's actually going to die and suffer on a Roman torture device known as the cross to take on the full weight of our sin and our rebellion so that we could be restored back to God. And Jesus is saying, you can't rely on emotions alone. Because when that cross moment happens, guess what? You're going to be tempted to run away like everybody else. You've got to get back to what you believe. What you believe, you believe, you believe, you believe. And only in that moment of exploring truth and wrestling with that are you actually going to get there. And for some of us, we're tempted to treat Christianity like it's a consumer good, like it actually fills us up in some things that I need. I just need a better marriage. I just need friends. I just need a good feeling on a Sunday morning. Tim Keller said, Christianity is not a consumer good. As if you follow it only when it benefits you. He says, no, you should pursue it only if it's true. Examine the claims of Jesus and find out, is it true? And I'm telling you this, when you start walking down that journey and exploring it for yourself, it will change your life. It'll change your life. All right, here's the last thing, okay? Point number five, you can write this down. Don't explore truth alone. This is the the biggest, probably most important part of all of this. Because our culture tells us that your private spirituality is enough for you. That's sufficient. But notice the invitation here. Don't explore truth alone. Commit to conversation with others. Don't explore it alone. Commit to conversation with others. Jesus invited Philip to do what? He said, follow me. He didn't just say, hey, here's a couple of resources. Why don't you go explore that on your own? No, he said, follow me be in community, be in relationship. Philip then invited Nathaniel to do what? Come with me and see. I love that. Exploration of truth Always is best in, in community and in relationships. Uh, in in the, the early church, Paul met a group of, the, uh, 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 of early kind of skeptical Jews called the Bereans in Acts 17. And, and this is how they responded when, when Paul started telling them the message about Jesus. It says, Now the, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if Paul said was actually true. And as a result, many of them Believed. You notice that? They went back to this, but they didn't do it alone. They examined this together. Hey, man, this is a shameless plug. You've got to check out groups. If you're not in a group yet, man, I encourage you. Go to the wellinh.org groups find a group that fits for you because these are relationships, they're community environments where we get to explore this truth together. And maybe for some of us, like your barrier is that like, I don't know, I've been a part of community conversations before and I've just gotten shut down. I was dismissed because of some of the questions and the doubts that I had. I wasn't accepted. I'm not in a good enough place to be able to have those conversations. And Jesus is saying, please work through that and jump into a group. Join a conversation with other people because in that, it's amazing, when you're in a group with other people, blind spots get revealed, right? We don't know what we don't know sometimes. And we need some other people to show us what we don't know. You get challenged in some of the things that you thought were true and maybe weren't because you're you're rejecting dismissiveness and you're embracing humility. And when you embrace humility and you're working through some of these doubts, relationships get formed. And I'm telling you, transformation happens in relationship. Every time. That's the blueprint of what God gave us here in the Bible. Transformation happens in relationship. Does it get messy? Yeah, you bet. (laughs) Guarantee you, someone's going to offend you in a group, all right? It will happen, but it's worth it. Some of my best friends have come out of our group. Some of the greatest transformation that's happened in this church has come out of the groups that I've been a part of and other groups that other people have been a part of. Because they got known, and even in being known, they were fully loved, they were supported, they were strengthened, thoughts were challenged, people grew. And I had the privilege of baptizing people right here with a mobile baptism tank, because people went from atheist, skeptic, cynic, to fully in with Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen on your own that happens when we stop journeying in isolation and we start doing it together and exploring what does this really have to say. That's my invitation for all of us. It's okay to have doubts, but the big question for all of us in this room is what are you doing with it? What are you going to do with it? What's your next step today? What's your next step? Do you need to just reject dismissiveness and embrace humility? Do you need to doubt your doubts? I mean, do, do you need to stop maybe relying on emotional experiences and actually start that journey? Do you need to join a group? What's that next step for you? Jesus' invitation to Nathaniel was come and see and come on a journey with me. And it changed his life forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, that you don't leave us on our own. But you actually meet us in our questions and our doubts. God, help us to be honest in this room today. Help us, God, whether we've been a Christian for a long time or whether we're real new to the faith, God, I pray that you'd help us to really legitimately get honest in this room about those questions, about those doubts. And God, my hope for every one of us in this room, myself included is that we would not be content to do nothing, but that you'd show us a next step today. Jesus, show us a next step because we believe that your life and the life that you've offered us is greater than we can ever imagine. God, help us to embrace that today. Take a next step. In Jesus' name.